Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wednesday Night Live. This is Ron Crawford, and I am the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And I greet you from the Arctic Winter Wonderland, otherwise known as Dallas, Texas. Been an interesting couple of days here. Uh, we've had uh, a true Arctic. Arctic visitation. I think uh, the temperatures bottomed out early this morning here at about zero with a wind chill of minus 30. So uh, we've been doing our best to um, keep the pipes unfrozen and to uh, manage uh, rolling electrical blackouts and some with no electric at all in the city and I we drove over here today and you know it hasn't snowed since I guess maybe six in the morning yesterday not today but yesterday so it's been a full day and many hours and uh, coming here I traveled three major roadways and it didn't um it didn't look like any city crew had visited those roads at all i mean i grew up in the north i've lived here for 42 years so spare me the yankee talk but um um i could not imagine that after a day almost a day and 6 hours there hadn't been, there was no sign of any treatment on the roads. There was no sound of any plowing. And I thought, where do we live? Hooterville? Bug Tussle? I mean, it it doesn't matter that this is a major city in the United States. It's just crazy to me. And by the grace of God, was able to navigate to come over here. But there's supposed to be another storm coming in tonight. And so my thanks to Scott for being willing to work with me to go ahead and get this posted just so you would have um, uh, Wednesday Night Live for tomorrow. Um, and I remember so often when I would, was growing up, you know, I, I would leave for school. Like in high school, I had rode the bus, and sometimes we'd have a major snowfall. And you couldn't hear anything. It was just so quiet and still when you when I'd walk down to the bus stop. But then I'd hear the the chains on the on the school bus coming. And my reason for saying that is, um, by the time I came home that afternoon, all the roads were clear. And I don't know how that happened. I mean, it's just amazing to me. But it did. Now, ice is a different thing. I mean, ice can be a, a little bit difficult, even though there are other treatments that can be uh, applied nowadays that weren't available back then. But then when we lived in Springfield, Missouri, Queen City of the Ozarks, I mean, if it snowed, you were on your own. I mean, sometime I think around July 4th, the snow would finally dissipate. And I expected that up there. Um, 
because it takes them six or eight weeks to do anything up there. But um, I was just a little frustrated because it, it was one narrow lane on the way over here on every one of these roads going each direction. And you could tell that it was only made possible because of other pioneers who had gone before you. And it just, it's amazing. It, it's just amazing to me. But that's my, that's my, uh, that's my editorial for today. And um, I'm just very grateful to have been able to navigate over here. The church is well. Um, electric is on. I hope it stays on until <laughs> we finish. But, uh, you know, it's, it's also interesting that, um, we, you know, we launched the new website this past weekend. And then, of course, we didn't have, we didn't have church on Sunday morning because of um, some of that early ice residue that came in. It wasn't much, but then it was covered by six, seven inches of snow, dusty snow. It wasn't that wasn't that thick, clumpy snow. So the dusty snow it gets real cold. You can deal with that a whole lot easier. However, uh, and we launched the website, and um, and we didn't we didn't post anything. Hopefully, this will get up. Scott is gonna he's gonna he's gonna do trial and error for a while to try to figure out how to do this. But he'll he'll do it because he's he's that kind of guy. Um. But all is well here, thank God, and we are looking forward to this all clearing out by later this week, and um, we'll be on the road toward seminar. So when Katie was talking to the young lady that built our site, this young lady was saying that she had heard several prophecies weeks and weeks ago about a major snowstorm that was going to be coming through the United States and it would be a sign from God of a change that was orchestrated by him and that it would serve to in as a sign of spiritual cleansing that's coming well I'm all for that you know we talked this past Sunday about you know, the winter being the first dimension of the seasons of God and, you know, the, the first measure of partnering with the hand of God, that's certainly a biblical principle. And I do believe that this is a time of beginning. We're, we're going to be launching and we've got to be sowing now our preparation for what God is going to allow us to do. There, um, there are several verses about snow in the scripture you know one of them is about unity one of them is about you know snow during the time of harvest which is a a great blessing for those who are laboring in the fields as long as there's not a whole lot of snow i think the the emphasis there was on cooler temperatures um, you know job talked about washing his hands with the water from snow and there is a, a measure of purity and fidelity that's communicated there. But I do believe that this unprecedented visitation of this climate 
scenario has to be some kind of a sign for us. And we apply the principles that we've learned scripturally. I just mentioned several of them. Um, to the fact that God is girding us up for the going forward. And so we need to pray accordingly. We, you know, we, 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 need to, we need to be in agreement that if this truly is a sign that God would cause us to benefit from it in every way that he, he, deems, he deems appropriate. And so, that being said, I want to move on to another topic, which is the main topic for this message. And that is that tomorrow is what is commonly known throughout the ecclesiastical world as Ash Wednesday. And, you know, I grew up basically in Catholic land. A majority of my friends in high school were Catholic. Um, now, when I was in grade school, <clears throat> where we lived was just basically, when I was born, we lived in the projects. I mean, literally, housing projects. And then we moved into this tiny house how all of us, five kids and mom and dad, lived in that place, I don't know. It was almost like Yawali and his brothers. I mean, I slept in the same bed with my two brothers, and they weren't little guys. But um, most of my friends in grade school were African-American, and my, my class, my elementary school was, I was the great white hope. You know, I was the only one, me and two other kids were, were white. And um, I had cherished memories, just wonderful things. And at that time, the Catholic kids were the ones that we had to defend our territory against because at that time, they were not really nice kids. And so we would get in crabapple battles with them and snow fights. And, and it wasn't just fun times. I mean, it was there were some mean-spirited people there. But then... We moved into uh, a, a suburb of Pittsburgh and Bethel Park, and most of my friends were Catholic then because that's who I went to school with. But I'm used to the Catholic mentality. I'm used to the fact that on Fridays, we didn't serve in the cafeteria meat. Now, you had fish. I'm still trying to figure out how f fish is not meat. I know it's all protein, but there it is. Maybe because the sign of the fish was the sign of Christianity. There was some, probably some pope had a fishing concern, and he said, oh, what are we going to do? We're going to let you eat fish. <laughs> let me back up my chariot. I've got a whole fresh catch here. But, you know, I, I remember my friends, uh, the, the concept of Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, was very much part of them because they had to go and get their ashes on their heads on Wednesday. And so they lived like hell the days before that. That's just the mentality. That's how Mardi Gras happened. And then, you know, they used to do that on when they when the Pope introduced a Saturday night mass instead of just Sunday mass. 
they would go and they loved that because they could go to mass and then they could go out and get blasted and sleep most of the day on Sunday. Religion really served them well. So the, the current uh, progressiveness of getting ashed up, I mean, that may be some new thing for you all, but I lived, I grew up with that. And it, you know, there's nothing magical about it. And, it, you know, it's, it's so strange. I know you're supposed to be in fasting and humility and repentance leading up to the events of passion and resurrection. And that's a noble thing. It, it was an instituted back in like the five or six hundreds. Um, but... I, 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 I don't know. The, the progressives say you have to accept all these other viewpoints, and otherwise you are a hater of them. Um, that's, that's, that's wrong thinking. And, you know, and I, I was thinking the other day about the Bible, and show me one time in the Scripture where God told the people, his people to become buddies and to assimilate the things of the surrounding peoples. And I can show you lots of illustrations of when that did happen, the horrid things that occurred because of it. And to go along and get along and abandon your your unique identity as a saint is damnable. In, in fact, the one time God commended a guy named Phineas for um, really doing a graphic prophetic action against intermarrying. And um, it, it's not, it, see, to me, it's not that you say, and, and again, I grew up in high school with a lot of people who were good people. They were good people, but they embraced a mindset that was, to me, wrong. Did I hate my friends? No. Did I go out and, you know, they, they drank a lot. I didn't, we didn't believe in drinking, getting drunk. Did they hate me because of that? No. Did I go along to get along? No. So there's, there's some strange mentality now that if you say and and if you say yes and if you're inclusive because all truth is God's truth, there's something barbaric about that and does not line up with the Scripture. And so, um, you know, the Ash Wednesday thing, I bless. There are a lot of people who really sincerely want to want to be right with God. I bless that. I'm not mocking their relationship with God. But my question is, what about the rest of the year? You see, to me, something like Lent is not a whole lot different from the yearly revival that a lot of churches had. What about the rest of the year? Do you just, and what, what's that concept? Well, I'm going to go to the church tomorrow, revival meetings come, but I'm going to go out and honky-tonk for a while and sleep around and just do nasty things because I'll get right tomorrow. I mean, where where is that? What is that? And 
I, I see Lot as an example of going into the other world. You know, God called him righteous Lot in the scripture. Lot may have been righteous, but his family sure wasn't. I mean, you tell me how those girls could do to their father what they did. You tell me about the, the wife who looked back and God, God didn't say, oh, I know, you were so inclusive, you showed love. She turned into a pillar of salt, <laughs> which, which reminded people you're supposed to be the salt of the earth. You're not supposed to be, uh, you know, mixed in with everything else and lose your savor. So, you know, I, I, I don't understand that. Now, I do recognize, and we've shared this before, about what ash really is in Scripture with sackcloth. And it, it has very little to do in the larger scope of things with your personal your personal repentance. I mean, if you if you put ash on your head, sit in an ash pile, and if you if you're wearing sackcloth, you are lamenting the the way that the people have turned away from what God has called them to be as a pure example of his of his uh, remnant. And you know, to me, we should live a fasted life. We shouldn't just save it up for Lent. Again, I'm not criticizing Catholics. What I'm saying is that we should, we should be a shining light set on a hill instead of um, a pocket light in the middle of the rest of the, of the world. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy to me. And so it comes back then to, to me what a mark on the head really means in Scripture. Now, again, ashes, most of the Catholics save the palm branches from the year before, from Palm Sunday a year before, and they burn that, and then that becomes the holy ashes of the next year. It's kind of like uh, reverse palm leaven. But um, the mark on the head, of course, we're aware of the mark of the beast, what the Scripture says about that. And we, we recognize the 666 probably means you become an amalgam of mankind in government, in business, and in religion. And you become all one based upon what man wants. Six is the number of man. And we're seeing that now, aren't we? We're seeing that. You know, there's a, there's a large push for everybody to just get along and to and and yes and to become one big cosmic religion better watch yourself with that you you know there's we're living in the midst of business being all one i mean you better toe the line or your bank accounts will be suspended and you won't be able to be on the internet and you won't be able to do this and you won't be able to do that we see that now it's coming more and more. And government? Dear Lord. We've we become a worldwide concern again. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to me. It's just crazy to me. You know, I was watching a documentary about um, John Adams. And in his meeting as the first ambassador with, with Great Britain, he met with King George. And...
King George asked him, with all apologies to Luke and Sylvie, if John Adams, he asked John Adams if, if his leanings were toward France. And John Adams responded, my leanings as the ambassadors of the United States, as the ambassador of the United States is toward my country and my country alone. And King George said, as well it should be. I would not respect a man who did not think likewise. Whatever happened to that? You know, we should be, we should be people who give, but not become what everybody else is. I don't know where that mentality comes from. It is so ridiculous. However, it lines up with 666, one world government, one world business, one world religion. And whatever that mark is, um, I highly doubt that it's going to say 666 blazoned. I, I think it's probably going to be some kind of a chip or some kind of a reading device on the forehead or the hand. Now, I want to talk about the mark that God places on his people. And I want to read with you, if you have your Bibles, Ezekiel 9, beginning at verse 1. He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man had a slaughter weapon in his hand, and one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar, the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And Yahweh said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go you after him throughout the city, and smite, let not your eye spare, neither have you pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary." Now, this sounds really volatile, doesn't it? To me, this is, of course, a prophetic act. Um, it speaks about our day. I think that, as we've suggested in the past, that a guy clothed in linen with a writer's inkhorn represents the saints because righteous Linen, white linen is the righteousness, the garment of the saints. And, you know, we certainly have a responsibility to be writers and enunciators of the things that God gives us. And um, so to me, that's what I think this is. I think that the, even though it says um, six men came, to me that represents angels, but I'm not going to argue that. I, I, I'm not going to even... I, I'm only focusing on the thing that I believe is very clear as to an identity. Now, what about this mark? What was the mark that was on the head? Well, it's very interesting that 
mark here is the last letter of the Hebrew al alphabet, which is Tav. And it's shaped like a cross. And it's very similar to the Greek letter Chai, which um, is the first letter of Christ. And so it, it really is this letter, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the mark looks like a cross. It's not straight up and down. It's, it's kind of a sideways, like an X almost. And I, I think that there is great significance to that. You know, the mark that transitions from the Old Testament into the New through Christ and the mark that represents the cross and the mark that would be what is on our thinking and governing our spiritual perceptions and governing, um, you know, our identity, that, that is very, very significant. And I believe that in the days that we're living in, the saints have a responsibility to represent this purity and this affinity and affiliation with what God is doing in the world today. Now, we are writing the things that God gives us. We are doing our best to communicate that. And really, the same pen, I believe, that, that marks... Um, do, do you think for a minute that... Um, that this guy literally went out and marked everybody in, in the city? How would that have worked? I mean, I think this was symbolic of the, the people who embraced that mark, the people who embraced that, that signature and that commitment. You know, the, the, the pen was his inkhorn and his quill pen were dedicated to writing. It was a writer's inkhorn. And that is really our calling right now and will in many ways remain that as we are standing for what it is that God, what God has revealed and what God has given, which really sets us apart. And I think that um, when you look then at the most famous mark in the uh, in the the New Testament, other than the mark of the beast, God places a mark on His people, and those ones are similarly, as is found in Ezekiel, not only identified, which is the main thing, but are preserved and protected by, um, by that mark in the midst of horrific things that are, that are manifesting on the earth. And I, I, I think that in our day, you find people who are lining up to, to get in line with the mark of this world system.
and in the spirit realm, I'm pretty sure that's a very clear thing to see. <laughs> I, I, I haven't really seen this yet. Maybe that's coming, but uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen that yet. Um, but I'm sure it's going to be readily seen. But the, the main thing is that you have people that commit themselves to what the 666 represents. And I, I believe that, um, gee whiz, these are very real things, aren't they? These, these are very, very real things. And um, I, I know that we need to take them very seriously. They're not allegory. They're not prophetic expression. They are not things that, um, that can be um, put away as having already happened. I mean, it is, it is very, very real. And you, you can see it lining up, can't you? I mean, you, you look at the saints. You look at our communications calling. You look at uh, our attempt to teach the nations and make disciples concerning these things that we know are scriptural, don't we? And then on the other hand, you see not only those who seem to be disinterested, which God is the only one that can make them interested, and you see this burgeoning mentality in, in government and in, um, in those that would go after progressivism. And you see the characteristics there of inclusiveness. And again... I mean, how in the world is it, you know what, like for instance, when Jesus told the rich young ruler, go and sell all that you have and follow me. And the guy went away sad. Jesus should have been more inclusive, shouldn't he have? You know, he should have said, hey, you know, whatever you believe. You know, you just, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, but you're the truth too. You know, you just... Do what you want. Now, if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. And we, we have to recognize that this is a very clear identification for us and for, um, for what our calling is in these, in these times of the end. And, you know, we've seen, we've seen this march toward government and one way thinking and you know deconstructing everything and rewriting things you see it in history courses you see it in religion you see it in the things that we hold true scripturally people just rewriting things and if you don't go along with it then you are this and you are that and you're not this and you know it's not enough that you can make your own choice uh, 
you know, as for me and my house, we're not going to do this thing. But if you don't stand up and and um, become what everybody else is, you hate them. Well, I don't hate them. I don't. I don't. What do you mean them? I, I, you know, it's it's crazy. But there's that group speak and that group pressure. I I just don't I don't understand how the enemy is able to deceive in that way. And you know, we used to study uh, all the time in church about end time prophecy. And everybody used to say that the army from the east had to be Russia. Well, how about China? Um, you know, Russia, the Russian communist state really was doomed to failure because they didn't have the mechanism for um, commercial endeavor and finance that the West had. China is different. Their mentality and their goals and their aims are different, but they've basically pirated away intellectual property and become like the West and are gearing up to be better than the West. It's like what Lenin said, you know, the capitalists will sell us the rope that we'll hang them with. And I think that's that's really true, but that's another topic. We we cannot we're 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 giving away the things that are precious and cherished. Education is gone. I mean in most places. I mean it's ridiculous. I read about those I won't say what I think they are up in Oregon who are trying to purge and I'm just gonna say it. This is in the news this past weekend. From math, white supremacy, that the idea that there's one right answer in math is white supremacy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can understand how um, in history things, a lot of things were told that were, were not really as accurate as they could be, even though the main thing was correct. I can understand how debaucherous things were sugar-coated. I understand that, and that needs to be corrected. But to say that the principles that are tried and true should all be tossed out is ridiculous, especially when it comes to math. I mean, I, I still try to figure out, you know, if, if you're doing banking or if you're doing um, if you're doing some kind of medical procedure or if you're doing rocket science and you think, well, you know, there's more than one right answer here to this math equation. That's crazy. It's just crazy stuff, isn't it? But as crazy as that is, we do, when I say we, I'm not going to say we, there are those that are dismantling or trying to dismantle the cardinal truths of Scripture. And if they can't get around them, they jettison those Scriptures. And then they add other things. And um, 
I, I'm just... I'm just aware of it. I'm not making things up. We're living in this. And the mark that we need, that the mark that we need is the mark of God, the mark of the cross, the mark of Christ. And if we don't have that, we are, we are destined for destruction. Um, I, I know that that this is something that we as saints need to need to truly come to come to grips with you know at the very end of the book of revelation in chapter 22 verse 18 john records i testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away out of his uh, away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. That's that's pretty clear, isn't it? That that's that's pretty clear. And we find that there are those that have taken away from the scripture they have added to it they have tried to uh, discredit and to tear down to deprogram to reprogram to deconstruct they now again what was the difference between what i'm talking about right now and what happened to us as saints when god changed us well, I was there, and I did everything I could to maintain what I had been raised and trained to believe and to do. I wasn't looking as a firebrand to start some other religion, which we've not done. We didn't become somebody else's doctrine. We didn't become, you know, somebody else's book. We didn't embrace things from Buddha, the Buddha, or from Hinduism, or from Taoism, or from any other kind of ism or philosophy. We didn't embrace any of that. When people came against us, it was all, this is not scriptural, even though it was in the scripture. Uh, when people came to us, they, they couldn't fault the fact that what we were doing, we had scripture for. You know, oh, you don't like us on our face. You don't like us being willing to dance before the Lord. You don't like us praying in diversities of tongues. You don't like what the scripture says about the saints. Oh, that's another thing. I mean, I, I've cringed as I've read and heard some of the ways that what we have seen in the scripture have been just openly debunked and ridiculed and rewritten. You know, I don't really think uh, we need to rethink what the saints are. Really? Really? And, and see, the thing is, is that you're not fine-tuning or adjusting what the Scripture says. You're tossing out what we've seen in the Scripture and embracing somebody else's view, somebody else's definition, so that you can get along. 
Now, for some people, they do that because they're jealous and they, they think, well, this is finally mine. For others, they're just following the pathway that the enemy's laid out and the very elect are deceived. But for the writer with the inkhorn in the saintly linen, I'd rather be that person, wouldn't you? Because the people that are writing in technicolor and in rainbow colors and have lots of different pens and are dressed in all kinds of funky clothing, those guys are the ones that these six ones are going to go and slay. Now, that's not our motive. We, we, our motive is the identity that comes with that linen and the identity that comes with those things we receive and write and the identity of being people who send forth the mark of God and it's up to those ones who hear to commit to that, to put it on the forehead, to make it what they believe, to make it what their agenda is before God. And that is the Tav, and that is the sign of Christ and the cross. And I, I, not the cosmic Christ, not the universe Christ, but the one true God, the only way to the Father. It's, it's, it's that, where we lay down everything and take up our cross, stau histeme, and follow him where the Father says to go. Not what's popular, not where Bruce Springsteen says to go, not where any number of ne'er-do-well former worship leaders uh, who are now going along to get along say to go. I mean, where God has said to go. And we need to double down our commitment because we have to embrace and we have to commit because that's what is going to identify us as those who are following our Father and working with Jesus, our precious elder brother. And that's what's going to be our mandate and our mission for the church and for the world. And that's what's going to end up partnering with God. So during this week, you're going to see lots of people get smeared with ash. I bless them. I bless them. But I say this, I'm not, I'm not looking at that like a new toy. I grew up with that. Some of you were former Catholics. You grew up with that. I bless them. But our lives all year long should be ones of being in sackcloth as God directs and repenting on behalf of the places that he's called us to minister on behalf of and to, um, to really be... Um, why, would, why would God want us for weeks mourning our sin when he's already forgiven our sins? Why would he have us? There's, that, that's so akin to coming to the table of the Lord with a frown and a mourning when it's a table of grace and to move forward. Yes, you thank God forevermore for being born again, but I don't need to say for the next six weeks I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk around and, and uh, lament my sin when I don't have it anymore. The blood of Jesus is gone. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. And he's looking at me saying, he could be, 
Why do you have that smudge on your head? Oh, it's for my sins. What sins? Well, the sins I've committed. Those are under the blood. They're in the sea of forgetfulness. I will remember them no more. So why do you have a mark on your head reminding of your sins? That's crazy. You better wipe that off and put on the white robe of, of righteousness and of the saints. And so I think we should be more concerned about the mark of God upon us, the, the tav, the cross, the, the real grace and truth of Christ. That should be our reflection. That should be our viewpoint, and that should be how we are marked. So during this time, uh, we're a good portion of the country. Maybe you didn't face it. Thank God for it. But this Arctic blast that came straight down through the center of the country and reached all the way down into the northern climes of Mexico, um, we need to embrace this as a sign that God is giving us a new beginning, a, a season, a time frame. In the midst of this darkness and gross darkness, God is going to shine. And during this week, we need to make sure that we have the mark of God on us. And, you know, I bless other people. I'm not mocking. I'm not ridiculing them. But I'm also not like a, a, a calf staring at a new gate. You know, if I was going to ash up, I would have done it back during the days where it would have been socially acceptable with all of my teenage friends. I'd rather have the mark of the Lord on me and go forth as sons and I know you do too. Well, thanks for joining us together across uh, the world on this Wednesday Night Live. It's coming to you a little bit early because, again, I wanted to make sure it got out and wasn't um, prohibited by the storm that's supposed to come in. I'm not too sure about this one. It may happen since the Arctic mass is still above us. But um, I, I do pray that God will bless this time and we, we hope we should be back to whatever normal is for us this coming weekend. Until, until that time, God bless you and keep on praying, keep on doing the work of the saints, and let's expect the breakthroughs in our intercession, and in our anticipation that God has ordained. God bless you all. Goodbye.